So this morning we'll take a look at Genesis chapter 6, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis chapter 6. And we'll just go ahead and start right on in on verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, as we've studied thus far in the book of Genesis, we have seen many people have been born. And of course, in order for birth to take place, there must be a male and a female that come together in marriage. But here something very different is being pointed out to us. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. Who are these sons of God? Well, as you've often heard me mention, it's always best to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So let's look at some other verses of Scripture so that we can get a better understanding of who these sons of God may be that are mentioned here in verse 2. So we'll go ahead and mark this page, and we'll turn to the Old Testament book of Job, Job chapter 1. If you find the book of Psalms, just go uh, one book back from that, and you'll see Job. Job chapter 1. And let's look down at verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, we're not going to study the story of Job this morning, but if you're familiar with the story, you know here that Satan presented himself before God, and then desired to attack Job. God was very pleased with the life that Job led, and Satan wanted to go after him. Of course, he needed God's permission to do so. Now, I recommend that you do read this book in its entirety to understand the full story of this, but what I simply want to show you here is that we again see the words sons of God here in verse 6. The Hebrew word used here for the word sons, as in the case of Genesis 6 where we saw it, is the word bane. Okay, that's how it's pronounced. It's a Hebrew word bane, but in English you would spell it B-E-N, but pronounced bane. But here we see that this verse is speaking of a time when angels presented themselves before the throne of God, maybe to give an account for their work on the earth. But on this occasion, Satan, a fallen angel, shows up before the throne of God as well with the other angels. But again, the point here is that sons of God is referring to angels. Now, let me show you some more verses of Scripture, and we'll stay here in Job. But let's turn all the way to the back of Job, to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. And we'll start reading there in verse 1. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. So in these verses here, the Lord God is in a sense going to put Job in his proper place. God will ask Job some questions here and make Job understand who is God and who is not God, who is in control and who is not in control, who is above all all else and who is not, right? In verse 4, the Lord God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fashioned? Fastened, Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So you see, Job wasn't there when the Lord God created everything. But you know what? Nor was any other man. There was not another man there at the time of creation because God made the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars before he created man, right? We've already seen that thus far in Genesis. But as verse 7 says, the sons of God were there. The sons of God were there, okay? And the sons of God shouted for joy. So we know there were no human beings there when God created the earth. And God is pointing that out to Job, but there were sons of God there, and they shouted for joy. So again, these were the angels of God. And this is how we let, in, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Back in Genesis chapter 6, we're seeing where the angels of God lusted after the, the women of the earth, and they came into them, it says. Okay? Now, let me show you some New Testament scriptures that refer to this period of time that we're speaking of here in Genesis 6. Let's turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude, okay? A little book of Jude all the way in the back of your Bible. Right before Revelation, you'll find Jude. And we're going to start in verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I, find, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay? Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, this is a little off our topic here this morning, but this is a good opportunity here to remind ourselves that our faith is something that we must contend for. We have to fight for it, right? Not fight with others around us, but fight to stay the course of faith. Now, Jude tells us here to contend earnestly for the faith. He continues in verse 4 and says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, 
ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have to understand this, that not everything is perfect in our world of Christianity. Okay? There are those that proclaim to be in the body of Christ that are not living the way the Bible says we should live. Some of them have gotten into the places of authority even within the body of Christ where people mistakenly revere them for their position, right? They may appear to walk in the way of the Lord, but they're But when you see their lives up close, you see that there's some very dirty things about them behind the scenes, okay? And these kind of people have crept into the body of Christ, and they can upset the faith of many people that are not rooted and grounded in faith and rooted and grounded in the Word of the Lord. But you see, Jude is going to point out to us here that their day of judgment is coming, right? He says in verse 5, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, verse 6 here is the reason that I took you to Jude. Okay, It says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So this is describing angels here, okay? The ones that are referred to in the Old Testament as sons of God. You see, angels are created beings as well. They are sons of God, right? And in verse 6 here, Jude gives us some insight into some angels. He said that did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. Now remember, the angels or the sons of God that we read about here this morning in Genesis were said to have uh, seen the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So it is possible here to believe that the angels that did not keep their proper domain but left their own own abode are the ones that that the, saw the, the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives of themselves of all whom they chose. Okay? Now just so you know, there are those that theologically debate this topic, right? There are those that say these sons of God were the the sons of the line of Seth and that they married into the women of the line of Cain and that this was the wrong thing to do. And there are those that say that the term sons of God refers to the kings of that day, the people that were kings who took as many wives as they wanted. Some find it hard to believe that angels can have sexual relations with humans. But you know, in Hebrews 13.2, right, we're told in Hebrews 13.2 to not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So it's possible that angels are in human form. Right? Because if we can mistaking, mistakenly um, be in their presence and not know it, well, then they have human form in that sense, right? So I'll show you 
more on that in just a moment. But let's look at verse 7 here. It says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude is comparing these angels that did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He's comparing them with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. These were people that gave themselves over to sexual immorality and had gone after strange flesh. So these angels in Genesis 6 were wicked as well. They rebelled against God's will and they lusted after the daughters of men. Okay. Now just one more thing I'll show you here on this topic of angels before we move on into Genesis 6 again this morning, right? Turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Now here we're going to see some good angels and some wicked men. Okay? We're going to see some good angels and some wicked men. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. It says, everybody there? Okay, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn in your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So you get the story here, right? Sodom and Gomorrah is full of sexual immorality and will be destroyed as a result. But what we also see from these verses is that these angels were in the form of humans. How do we know that? Well, they, they had the, the need for their feet to be washed, for one. And they sat down and they ate a meal, for two, right? And these wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to fornicate with them. So you see, it's not hard for me to see that the angels that Jude refers to are the sons of God that Genesis chapter 6 tells us had relations with the daughters of men. You see, let's keep in mind what we are studying about at this point in Genesis, and that is, is that wickedness is abounding. Things are continually getting worse since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And where wickedness prevails, judgment comes. This is the case for the body of Christ today as well. We must stay the course of walking by faith. We must contend for the faith and not turn away from the faith. You see, since wicked living 
such as sexual immorality is always judged, we must realize that our nation, which is rapidly turning away from the things of the Word of God, will be judged someday. Our government, our government today is increasingly passing laws in favor of what the Bible calls sexual immorality. And we need to be careful not to be so politically blind that we continue to vote for people that promise things or promote things, I should say, contrary to the Word of God. Okay? That's important. We must stand for the truth of the Word of God. That's what contending for the faith is. And in so doing, we must also reach out in God's love and grace to those that are lost in the sin of this world because as was the case with Sodom and Gomorrah, their day is coming. And judgment will also come upon our government leaders and upon this nation as well for the wickedness of, of our ways. Okay? So now, before returning to Genesis chapter 6, I really want to drive these points home to you this morning. So turn now in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 2. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter 2. And let's start reading in verse 1. It says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of the Lord will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So, think about what is being said to us here. There are people out there in this world that are good speakers, right? They play upon the covetousness of other people. In other words, they use sweet-sounding words and they tell people things that they want to hear and that they've always longed to hear. But all they are really doing is deceiving people and exploiting people. But their day of judgment is coming. Okay? Again, this is why we must contend for the faith. Okay? We're not to to be political. We're not be, to be a part of any political party. We do our part as citizens, as good citizens, as the Bible tells us to be, to vote. But we don't latch on to this or that. We latch on to the Word of God and we contend for the faith, right? Verse 4, though, goes on and says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, right? So there we see more scriptural reference to the angels who sinned. These are the sons of God mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. But all sin gets judged. Don't be fooled into thinking that it won't. Verse 5, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah one of eight people, 
a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So do you see what's happening here, right? Sin gets judged, but the righteous get delivered from judgment. This is a very key point of the entire Bible. Those that are contending for the faith, those that are living in a righteous matter, those that, that flee from the world and live in accordance with the word of God will escape the judgment. Those remaining in sin, even if they appear to be in the body of Christ, even if they give a good impression that they're good people and, oh, they're doing such great things, they will be reserved for the judgment if they're not born again and repentant of their sin. Okay? So let's turn back to Genesis chapter 6 and continue on with our study of these verses. Picking it up in verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. So God has put up with enough here. He knows that man is, is fleshly. The disobedience of man in the Garden of Eden has led to the earth being a wicked place. And God is now pronouncing judgment. The flood happened 120 years after God made this announcement. This was God's long-suffering as well. As we talked about last week, if you remember, with the life of Methuselah. God could have wiped out the earth immediately in the midst of all the wickedness, but the judgment wouldn't come for another 120 years. Now, many believe that 120 years is the maximum number that God has given to mankind to live on the earth. Personally, I have trouble with this, though I once accepted that myself. You see, for one very practical reason, if God would have said this, then no one would have ever lived more than 120 years after he said it, right? Secondly, I know for a fact that in 1997, a woman from France died at 122 years old. So this would be contrary to what God said in his word. Not only that, after God made this statement, Noah went on to live 600 years. So in the light of the coming judgment that we're studying here, I lean toward this meaning that 120 years would pass before the coming of the flood. And those that have studied it say that is indeed the time frame that passed before 
the flood came. Okay? But I encourage you to study this on your own further. But verse 4 continues and says, There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, there were the mighty men, those were, excuse me, the mighty men who were of old men of renown. So we see here that giants did exist on the earth before the angels sinned and as a result of the angels sinning. The offspring produced, you know, became mighty men, meaning that they were physically strong. That's what those words mean. They were men of renown, which means they were famous. Okay? And this is not uncommon. This isn't hard for us to understand. Today, physically strong people, athletic people, become the famous ones. Right? And they stand out in our society. Right? Verse 5 tells us, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So again, we get the picture here, don't we? Mankind is growing exceedingly evil. It's all about them. We know, though, that there is still the royal line of Seth on the earth, though, isn't there, right? If you remember, we talked about that last week. There was a group of people that called on the name of the Lord. But as time would go by, the majority of them would turn wicked as well. And in the end of that period of time, there would only be one man and his family that would be found righteous. And that was Noah and his family. And God was grieved in his, in his heart about what mankind had become. And verse 7 continues and says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So with all the wickedness running rampant on the earth, with all the sin and de decay of humanity, there was still this one man, Noah, that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You see, Scripture doesn't tell us that Noah earned the grace of the Lord, but rather that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, this was, this was a result of God's doing, not Noah's doing. And still today, there is nothing that mankind can do to earn grace from God, but God in His awesome love has extended grace to mankind. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can find grace today in the eyes of the Lord if we would just turn our eyes upon the Lord. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
And this is the case today, isn't it? Mankind keeps on going in the ways of sin, not caring at all about the things of God. The God of the Bible, that is, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. The God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, some follow other gods today, right? The gods of their religion. But we are talking about the one and the only true God as we study through the Bible like this, okay? And again, this is the faith that we must contend for. We have indeed found grace in the eyes of the Lord today, as well as God has you know, so loved the world that He's given us His only begotten Son, that whomsoever would believe on Him will not perish but have everlasting life. But we must be completely sold out to this faith, completely surrendered and desiring righteousness above the sin of the world. It always amazes me to think about how far removed Christianity is today from the early church, from what we see in the book of Acts, how these people gave up everything they had to serve the Lord. And they had all things in common. They didn't say anything was their own. They just gave it all up to serve the Lord. And we're so far removed from that today as the body of Christ. And as we continue on, verse 9 says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So Noah was something special, you could say. Not born special. He was born a sinner, but he chose to be a just man. He chose to walk with God. And this same choice is before each one of us today. You can't live in the ways of this sinful world and expect or proclaim that you're walking with God. I'll say that again. You cannot live in the ways of this sinful world and proclaim that you are walking with God. There is a distorted teaching of grace today, though, that says you can do that. But it does not hold up biblically. Okay? And verse 10 continues on, And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God is about to destroy everything living, with the exception of Noah and his family. And this is all the result of the wickedness of mankind on the earth. Something so good, something that started out so good in the Garden of Eden, some, some place where God made everything good, the whole earth, right? It turned out so bad. And God goes on to tell Noah in verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, pitch is a sticky black or dark brown substance that turns into liquid when it is heated up. And it's hard when it gets cold. It is obtained, you get it by distilling tar or petroleum. And it was used to make something waterproof. 
It is said that John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men of all times, right? He had the idea to look for oil in the Middle East as a result of reading this passage of Scripture right here. He said, if there's pitch there, there's got to be oil there. So God had Noah spread this substance all over the ark, both inside and out, and it made it waterproof. Okay? So this substance probably also allowed for the ark to be preserved for many years, possibly even till today. Verse 15, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits, and it's height, 30 cubits. Now, if we were to convert these measurements to feet, okay, as we would more commonly understand it here, right? The ark was approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. This is a massive boat, to say the least, about the size of the Titanic, right? It wasn't until around the year 1858, when a boat was made bigger than this one, in 1858, okay? But verse 16 goes on and says, You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So there's three decks to this ark. All around the top of the ark is a window. And then God told Noah to put a door in the side of the boat. Verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So again, as I mentioned earlier, every living thing on the earth died as a result of the flood. What about the birds? They died too. They could fly above the, the floods for a little while, but they ain't got no trees to land on. They ain't got no food to eat. Every living thing that has breath died. Verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now this covenant that God speaks of here is what we would call today the Noahic covenant, right? Covenant, right? We will look at this when we get to chapter 9. But basically this covenant was established with Noah, his family, and the animals and all the earth. This covenant was established with them all. This covenant was then sealed or made official how? By a rainbow that God put in the sky. And then verse 19, And of every living thing, of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So God had Noah be sure that he took enough food with him to feed his family and all the animals. Verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So again, 
we see that Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And this was the reason that he followed God's plan to a letter, right? He followed it exactly. And we too are called to live righteous lives today. And follow God's plan, right? Found in his word as strictly as we know how to. We are to walk in righteousness. We are to deny ungodliness. We are to turn away from this world because there is a day of judgment coming once again. And it will come. And it will be the final judgment. Here in Genesis 6 and up until Genesis 6, we've seen where wickedness has increased. And we see in our world today, wickedness increasing. We see laws being passed. We see that we're getting closer and closer to the time when the Lord is going to come again. And our faith is based on the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us that He is coming again. So I always ask this question, I repeat it a lot, how then shall we live? How should we be living if we know this is God's Word? This is the truth of God's Word. It's happened and it will happen. And the Lord is coming again. And again, we can find grace in the eyes of the Lord if we would just turn our eyes upon the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study it here this morning. Thank you for all of those that will listen throughout the world. I pray, Lord, that we will desire to know you, the God of all creation, the God of love, the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you could redeem us out of this world, that we might walk by faith in you, that we might someday be in your presence. Lord, you have not left us comfortless and alone. You have not forgotten us, Lord. You have given us your Holy Spirit who teaches us this day that we might grow in the things that are of you, Lord. Thank you for your Spirit at work within us. I pray your blessings upon the rest of our week as we go forth in the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.